Welcome to Once Upon a Dystopia, where we dive into dystopian novels to find the gritty details and hardships that the main character has to deal with, which I put myself into those same hardships to figure out how I do, then I discuss my personal how to survive in that world as if I was born into it, and la lastly we list out skills you should work on, books you should acquire, and things to stock up on or find once things hit the fan, so you may one day have a good chance of surviving if, and probably when, the book's plotline starts to feel a bit too real in this world. This week, we are diving back into the world of Katniss Everdeen in the second installment of the Hunger Games trilogy with the book Catching Fire by Susanna Collins. The book's Goodreads page describes it as, Against all odds, Katniss Everdeen has won the annual Hunger Games with fellow district tribute Peter Malark, but it was a victory won by defiance of the capital and their harsh rules. Katniss and Peeta should be happy. After all, they have just won for themselves and their families a life of safety and plenty. But there are rumors of rebellion among the subjects, and Katniss and Peeta, to their horror, are the faces of that rebellion. The capital is angry. The capital wants revenge. And of course, major spoilers ahead. Refresh of the characters. Our book is told in the point of view of Katniss Everdeen, a 17-year-old girl from District 12 who won the Lax Hunger Games by attempting to take some deadly berries. But before she swallows them, they end the games and declare her and Peeta as winners. Speaking of Peeta, Peeta Malark is also 17, and after being badly hurt in the games, he now has a fake leg. He is now living in the victors' homes in District 12, a different home than Katniss though. Even though their way to survive the games was to be in love, it's more or less revealed at the end of book one that for Peeta, it wasn't fake. He has real and serious feelings for Katniss, but now that they are home, he assumes Katniss and Gail, her childhood friend, would get together. To keep the horror alive and well in Panem, six months after the Hunger Games, which happen every year, the victor from the last games goes on a victory tour, going to each district to give a speech, thanking the capital for their generosity, and giving condolences to the families of those who died in the games. The tour usually starts in District 12, and then heads to each district heading towards the capital. It'll skip the Victor's District, doing that one last, then will end with huge parties in the capital. On the day that the tour is set to begin, Katniss comes home from doing her rounds of hunting and visiting the very illegal hob, and her mother warns her of a visitor. This lovely visitor is none other than President Snow who more or less tells Katniss to turn up the love between her and Peeta where people might start not being too alive anymore, including Gail and his family. Now, not to get political, and this really has nothing to do with surviving the games or this world, but I've always been Team Peeta. I really didn't like Gail. For starters, he seems to only be really interested in Katniss once she has fame, money, and another guy is showing her interest. He spent how long with her before the games? Like hours a day, every day, hunting together, making plans to maybe run away with their families together. Yet Gail had never expressed feelings for her, never spoke up and said, Hey Katniss, I like you or love you or want to be with you or have romantic feelings towards you. Though I guess the same could be said about Peeta, but to a lesser extent since he waited until he was on TV to say anything about his feelings. But still, Team Peeta all the way. But anyways. Back to President Snow threatening a 17-year-old girl from the poorest district in his country. He makes sure she knows that the old game master has been dealt with, aka killed, and that he knows she has been going outside the fence every Sunday, which makes Katniss freak out about how he could know this. He tells her that she needs to convince him that she is in love with Peeta while on this tour, and then leaves. 
Sana and Katniss's stylist show up to make her capital pretty, and she goes outside to do her interview, where Peta is exiting his house as well, which brings up a point I'd like to make here. They're on camera, right? And the camera, therefore, the viewers see what they come out of different houses. I get that they're 17, and Katniss's mom is all about them not getting married too young, but if I was someone watching them come out of different houses, I would get suspicious about it. Like, why aren't they spending time together before this? Why not save on camera time and such by allowing them to just come out of the same house together to promote how they can't stand to be apart or something? I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it, though. Katniss knocks Pita down in the snow since he still hasn't mastered having the fake leg, but on screen, it looks like they're very much in love. They all get on the train to head towards District 11 to start the tour. Katniss confides in Haymitch about what Snow had said. He reminds her that it's not just about this tour. The love story between her and Peta will forever be on the show for the crowds. She will have to marry Peta and have kids with him and move in with him and spend forever with him. There will be no easy way out of it or any way she can be with Gail. They head to District 11 and while entering the district, they notice a new fence has been put up. 25 feet high with barbed wire at the top and metal plates at the bottom to discourage digging, digging under it and with watchtowers manned with armed guards. They go out on the veranda in front of the Justice Building in that district and they are faced with the families of Thress and Rue. They say their speeches and then Peta adds that he wants the families of Thresh and Rue to receive one month of their winnings every year. They go to leave but Katniss wants to say something. She thanks both families and then hears the Mockingjay sound that Rue had used with her in the games and sees an old man was the one to do the sound. And then the whole crowd presses their three middle fingers to the, of their left hand against their lips and raises the hands towards Katniss. Katniss and Peta head inside, but Katniss remembers she has forgotten her flowers and they head back to grab them. They witness the guards dragging the old man who had whistled and they shoot him in the head. Okay, so my take so far is, well, you already know. I'll be with Peta. I wouldn't be giving Gail a second thought. And even in the book, Katniss claims she doesn't have feelings for Gail, but then doubts that and thinks maybe she has her feelings mixed up. I would have told Peta about the meeting with Snow on the train leaving District 12, making sure he was 100% aware of what's going on. Like his family could be killed as well because of this, and the fact that Katniss doesn't even tell him about the threat is very disrespectful. Even if you have no feelings for the other person, you should have told them that their family is at risk. After Katniss and Peta has made it all the way through to District 2, Katniss knows she hasn't made the issue of the unrest any better. In fact, she knows she can see it's getting worse, and she starts to have bad nightmares and trouble eating. Peta starts spending the night in her cabin on the train because Katniss only sleeps well with him. So once they reach the capital, Katniss is desperate for a plan and comes up with one of doing a public marriage proposal. Peta agrees, but soon after disappears to his room. My take about that? While I do feel bad for Katniss at this point, the way she just casually brings up the proposal rubs me the wrong way. Because again, Peta does have feelings for her, and she still just sees it as a way to get by. She doesn't put herself in Peta's shoes at all, and is just almost constantly hurting his feelings in a way. When they go on TV and Peta does a proposal, President Snow is there, and basically tells her she didn't do a good enough job. So of course, now she is thinking about a way to avoid getting in trouble for this, and a way to save her family. So she plans on taking her family, Gail and his family, and Peta, but doesn't mention Peta's family at all. Remember, he has parents and two unnamed brothers, and she wants to bring Haymitch, of course. At a party at the president's house, Katniss and Peta meet the new game maker, and he dances with Katniss. 
showing her a watch she has that shows the Mockingjay symbol on it. They also discuss the games, as this is the 75th games, they are doing a quarter quell, which all have their own theme. Katniss and Peeta head back to District 12 to do the Harvest Festival. They will be staying at the mayor's house once they get there and have a dinner there that night. Once in the house, Katniss goes to find the mayor's daughter, Madge, the one who gave her the Mockingjay pin before the game's last book, and happens upon the mayor's study. And the TV is on. She catches an update on District 8, which is in the district that sells that does textiles. A level 3 alert is happening there. Additional forces are being sent there, and all textile production has been shut down. The TV cuts to scenes for District 8, showing things being burned, fixed bricks being thrown, and the peacekeepers are shooting the crowd at, at random. Katniss is rattled by this, and her plan to run away takes over her mind. She meets Gale out in the forest, which is a dumb idea, seeing as Snow already told her he knew that she was out there and made it pretty clear that he had eyes out there. But Katniss just has the escape on her mind. Katniss explains to Gale that she wants to run away, and Gale takes it as her just wanting to run away with just him, and acts super happy, and even picks her up in a hug, overjoyed to think that she wants to run away with him and leave Peeta behind. While still hugging Katniss, he leans down and tells Katniss he loves her, and Katniss pulls a Han Solo and says, I know. Gail doesn't take this well and lets her go and moves away. Then when Katniss brings up bringing Peeta and Hamish, Gail freaks out. Katniss, trying to get him to see how bad things are, tells him about what she saw on the TV about District 8, and Gail loves this information, and Shreyup tells Katniss he will never leave with her now. He wants to fight back like District 8 is doing. Gail leaves Katniss in the woods, and when Katniss heads back into town, she finds Peeta. She brings up the idea of leaving to him, and he is also a little shitty about Gail coming along too, so teenage boys. Okay, my take. If this had been me up to this point, I do not think I would bring up a plan to escape. Snow makes it clear that he knows Katniss is leaving the fence, claims he has seen or knows somehow that Gail and her kissed out in the woods, so either he has cameras out there or someone is following her around, so therefore any escape plan is not going to end well, or even get started because someone or something will see. Also, if three whole families just up and disappear, you really think the peacekeepers or the mayor would just let that go? I doubt it. They probably alert someone and again, knowing she goes out in the woods, would find them pretty fast. Okay, getting into some real hardships now, since up till now most of this was just mental things that Katniss had to deal with. Once Peeta and Katniss reach town, they find Gale is being whipped because he was caught with a wild turkey he killed while out in the woods with Katniss. Their normal head peacekeeper has been replaced, and this new guy actually enforces rules, like the no poaching rule, and is whipping Gale for breaking that rule. Katniss, going to stand up to the peacekeeper and stop it, is hit by the whip. Her left side of her face is hit and it welts soon gross. She starts to yell at the guard as the guard goes to hit her again with the whip, but Hamish intervenes and they get Gail out of there. Okay, my take. Well, I've never been hit with a whip, so I'm not sure of the pain level, but I can imagine it's very painful. I think Katniss might have actually done the right thing here. The peacekeeper probably wasn't going to stop whipping Gail, and since she is famous, well, famous enough since the peacekeeper didn't actually recognize her, until Hamish pointed out who she was, but still famous enough to stop the act without having major repercussions. I think the only thing I would change is maybe just to plan my jump in to be right after a whip so that I wouldn't get hit, but I know it's a high stress situation, so doubt I'll think before reacting, but you never know. 
The shit hits the fan in District 12 after this, though. They burn down the black market hob, replace most of the peacekeepers, close the mines for a few weeks, didn't stock the food. The parcel day food that they get from winning the games arrives spoiled. When the mines do reopen, the miners have to work longer hours for less pay. And the woods are off limits to everyone. And even Gale and Katniss are abiding by that until one day. A crate of wedding dresses shows up to Katniss' house. They freak her out and she flees to the woods. She heads off to a shack her father took her to when she was young. While there, two girls find her in the shack, Twill and Bonnie. Both from District 8. They have fled from their, when their factory they worked in exploded. They're heading for District 13, which Katniss says is not real. But the girls have proof. The video of District 13 that is shown is the same footage every time. You can tell by a bird passing the camera in the same spot in time every time they show the footage. This is when we learn that District 13's thing was nuclear development. Katniss starts to question what she knows about District 13. She helps the girls be better prepared and gives them food and they stay behind to rest before they head to 13. Katniss heads home and is too distracted to notice till it's almost too late, but the fence has its electricity back. She freaks out a bit and hides behind a tree. She thinks that this is on purpose, thinking the new head peacekeeper did this on purpose to catch her in the act of breaking a rule so he can make an example out of her. She knows that she can't go under as the ground is frozen, so she finds a tree with a limb that goes over the 20-foot fence. She inches her way out on the limb till she's over the fence and then releases her grip to fall down on the ground. She hits the ground pretty hard, hurts her ankle and tailbone. She thinks she has broken something, but limps her way away. But since she didn't tell her mom where she was going, she heads into town and buys some bandages and peppermints. By the time she gets home, she can no longer put weight on her left ankle. When she enters her home, there are two peacekeepers inside. One, who seems very surprised to see her, Further helping Katniss comes to the conclusion that she was trapped out there on purpose. She has to hide her injury and find Peta and Haymitch in her home as well. She makes up a lie about seeking out a goat man to talk to him about getting Prim's goat pregnant. Her sister helps her with the lie. The peacekeepers have to accept the lie and leave. Okay, my take on this. Mainly is why would you head into the woods at all at this point? She has seen what they did with Gail and the backlash from that. Yet she just ran right into them without thinking much about what could happen. As someone who keeps saying she is doing whatever she has to do to save her family, she is doing things that could put them in danger. And for what? A stroll in the woods? But I'll give her the tree thing was pretty smart. Maybe she could have worked on the landing though to avoid injury. And even though the bandages and candies were good for her to lie, it wasn't smart to walk on the bad ankle all the way to town and then head home. Katniss does her photo shoot for her wedding dresses, and on the night that they do the TV spot for them, they announce the theme for the quarter quell, which is, on the 75th anniversary, as a reminder to the rebels that even the strongest among them cannot overcome the power of the capital, the male and female tributes will be reaped from their existing pool of victors. Which means Katniss, Peta, or Hamish are heading back to the game. They spend their time before the game's training, which isn't allowed, but, you know, no one seems to follow that, given the careers in previous games. Briefing day happens. Katniss is picked, of course. Then Haymitch is called, but Peter volunteers. While on the train to the capital, they find out the other tributes and watch some videos of past games, including the game where Haymitch won, which was the 50th game, so the second quarter quell, where they did double the tributes as the theme. In his games, Haymitch found out how to use the barrier in the arena as a weapon. 
By accident, he figures out if you throw something over the cliff into the barrier, it'll come back shooting back at you. It came down to Hamish and one other girl at the end of the games. She chases him towards the cliff, throws her axe at her. Hamish ducks. The axe goes over. She stands back trying to think of a plan and then the axe flies back up and plants itself into her head, killing her. Nothing much happens for a while. They wear coal costumes. Joanna gets naked in front of them in the elevator. They make friends at training. They make an impression on the judges where they go to their, do their scores. Where Peta paints a picture of Rue and Katniss makes and then hangs a dummy with the last game maker's name on it. Finally, we enter the games. Before Katniss heads up to the little bomb platform, guards come in and attack Cena and drag him away. Katniss is distraught but has to put it aside real quick to figure out her plan to get the game started. The arena is set up in pie segments, 12 of them, with a cornucopia in the middle. Salt water surrounds them and they can see a beach further away and even further they can see a jungle. At the sound of the gong, she dives into the water. She was taught how to swim on a lake in the forest by her dad when she was young. She heads into the cornucopia and finds a golden bow with arrows, goes to grab it, feels someone coming up behind her. It's Finnick, which Katniss doesn't really like, but then sees that he is wearing Hamish's bracelet so has to take him as an ally. It's also noted here that Finnick is surprised she knows how to swim, and since there isn't a pool at the training center, no one had a chance to learn if they haven't learned already. Katniss takes one side of the land around the supplies, notes its only weapons, and fires at two tributes, missing one and hitting the other in the calf. She finds another bow, takes it, along with two knives, an awl, which is a very pointy tool used to make holes in leather or thread very thick fabrics. Okay, right, um, I forgot a semi-important thing that happened in the mess of nothingness in the middle. Mind you, the games do not start until you're 60% into this book. At the interviews they do before the games, Peta surprises everyone by saying Katniss is pregnant, which angers the crowd at the Capitol because they're making her do the games while pregnant. Katniss goes to find Peta, who I assume doesn't know how to swim, as he's still on his starter's platform. Finnick goes after him instead, citing how he doesn't, want Katniss to exert herself in her condition, aka the baby. Finnick comes back with Peta and Max, an elderly lady from the same district as Finnick, joins them, showing them the belt on their suits is a flotation device. Katniss hands Peta one of the bows she has and a knife. She gives the owl to Max and they head into the jungle. Okay, my take. So basically, I would do the same that Katniss is doing. Katniss at least learned from last games that she needs a weapon sooner rather than later, and she more or less established allies before the games, where last year she still was pretty cold towards everyone during training. I do know how to swim, well, my husband, not so much, as he's from another country, where swimming and public pools aren't a big thing. But where I was, my grandparents had a swimming pool growing up, and we were required to do swimming and diving in high school gym. But I know that a lot of countries and cla classes of people aren't given that same luxury, which sucks when it comes to a life or death hunger games where you either know how to swim or not, and that's your life at stake there. When they head far enough into the jungle, Katniss spots the force field keeping them in, but notices it too late, and Peta hits it with a knife. Electrocuting himself to death, his heart literally stops. Katniss freaks out, shaking and slapping Peta. Fennec steps up and starts to do CPR on Peta, and for some reason Katniss first thinks he's going to make sure Peta is dead, as in kill him more though I guess since Katniss knows his heart has stopped, she checked. 
She goes to push Fennec off Peta, but Fennec pushes her away so hard that she hits a nearby tree. He goes back to doing CPR, and Katniss straight up then thinks that Katniss is kissing him? Like, what? Okay, I have to say something about this. Yes, Katniss does explain that she rarely sees her mom doing CPR, as she mainly deals with injuries, and if someone needed CPR, they are too late for her mom. But, this is a huge but to me. If I was Katniss's mom, the town healer, I would have taught my daughter, who would be heading into a life-or-death game situation, and with someone she loves, some basic first aid. Especially after last year's game, where she barely knew how to care for Peta when he was so badly hurt. Heck, even if I was just a normal mom in this situation, I'm teaching my kids to do basic first aid. And what kind of things they can find in nature to do to care for the injuries. Like, I don't want to bash on her mom. The books say that she is teaching Prim these things. And that Katniss has a rough time with people being sick. But still, basic knowledge, based on how bad Peta was last time, could save Katniss as well. If she got hurt, but Peta was okay, Katniss could tell him how to help her. Besides, if she needed CPR. But, you know, still, you get the idea. Like, teach her basic first aid to save your daughter in a life or death game. Once Peta is back living, they follow the force field, but feel like they're not making any progress. So Katniss climbs up a tree and sees that the arena is in fact a perfect circle, actually a dome as the top of them is covered as well. Relying on information she got from a tribute during training, where they showed her the force field now covering the people in the training area, guess Katniss's arrow last year scared them, she notices the same looking field up in the sky. She shoots an arrow at it. She can see the real sky for a second. Then the arrow is thrown back, just like the axe from Haymitch's game. They still can't find any fresh water, so they make camp, eating some roasted nuts, and a while later they are gifted a spile. A faucet-looking item that once plunged into a tree, the sap in the tree will flow out of it. Or water in the trees, in this case. They use a grass woven cup to hold the water they found and drink. They sleep and are later woken up by a bell ringing 12 times. After it's done, a tree across the way from them is struck by lightning and a lightning storm begins near the tree. Okay, kind of my take right now, but I have been reading for a very long time since childhood, obviously, but I have been actively like reviewing, blogging, and discussing books since 2013. Because of that, I think I've gotten really good at spotting foreshadowing and guessing how things are going to go, like this whole arena setup. But I'll wait to discuss that till Katniss figures it out. But as soon as she came up on her base to begin the games and describe the area she could see, I knew right away what was going on. Also, learn basket weaving skills because Finnick and them make like shelters and cups, waterproof cups, so something you should learn. Katniss takes watch while the others sleep. She knows that after about an hour, the lightning storm has stopped and rain somewhere has started. She hopes it heads their way, but it never does. The rain stops suddenly and Katniss sees a fog setting in near their camp. She knows that the way it's moving doesn't seem natural. Then a sweet odor reaches her. This worries her so much that she goes to wake the others. By the time they're all awake, she has begun to blister. Fennec grabs Max, putting her on his back, and runs. Peta is slower to get up and start running, and he has trouble dealing with the underbrush of the jungle. Remember his fake leg that he still has trouble with? Katniss thinks about leaving them all behind, noting that the fog is only going up about 40 feet in the air, and the nearby trees go higher, making it seem safe to just climb out of reach. 
Katniss remembers her plan to save Peeta, so tells him to follow where she steps, which helps a little, but there's not being enough space between them and the fog. Peeta trips and falls down. While pulling him up, Katniss realizes that the left side of his face is now sagging, and taking a second to look at him, she then feels a spasm in her arm. The fog isn't just targeting their skin, it's messing with their nerves as well. The fog has gotten to Peeta's legs, making him move too slow. Finnick has slowed down to watch their struggle. He decides to give Mags to Katniss and carries Peeta himself. Katniss is on the smaller side, and even though Mags might only weigh about 80 pounds, she struggles badly trying to carry her. After falling three times with Mags, she can't stand up with her anymore. She asks if Finnick can carry both, but Finnick has lost control of his arms, losing two of his three tridents, and says he can't do it. Mags accepts her fate, kisses Finnick on the cheek, and just walks into the fog, killing herself. Katniss is startled by this, but then picks herself up to run. After running for a bit, Finnick falls with Peeta, and Katniss trips over their bodies and falls as well. She thinks this is the end, but sees that the fog has hit some kind of invisible wall and doesn't proceed past that wall. They spot monkeys in the trees of the part of the jungle they're in now, but the monkeys just stare at them. So they head towards the water to seek relief, and the water draws out the poison from the fog. Katniss notes here that their jump, her jump shoot is shredded, but her shoes and undergarments were not damaged at all. Okay, my take. Okay, Mags and Finnick built a really nice camp for them on the ground, which made me worry a bit though because they're in a jungle. So using the trees as cover, someone could sneak up on them. Given that this is there's four of them, I would think that one could do ground watching and one could be in a tree a bit away and have some kind of signal to warn them earlier. We all know people have trouble looking up, so the tree watcher could go unnoticed by someone trying to sneak up on them. Noting the undamaged shoes and undergarments, Katniss should realize it's a planned fog since they made sure those items would be of use still after that area. Katniss's plan of climbing the trees maybe was a good idea. She could have yelled at Finnick about it and tried to get Mags up a tree since he was so far ahead of them and see if that would have worked. If I was in Mags' shoes, I think I would have done the same. Just accept fate and give the others a chance to win and live. Peeta heads back into the jungle to start the hole to get more water from a tree, while Katniss and Finnick stay in the water. After a while, Katniss is worried, and they head towards the jungle, finding scores of monkey now in the trees. Side note here, a score is a measurement of items. It could be a group of 20 or just an indefinitely large number. I rewatched the monkey scene from the movie, and I guess there's about 20 on the screen at a time, but for everyone they killed, another scene to replace it. They're going to go with there is as many monkeys as they need to kill the people in that section. Katniss yells at Peter to come out slowly, hoping he doesn't notice or startle the monkeys, but he makes eye contact and the monkeys just jump on him. Katniss and Finnick enter the jungle to help him and Katniss takes down many monkeys, but she soon runs out of arrows. Remembering that Peter has some, she tells him to give him his arrows, but as he's reaching for them, a monkey jumps at him. Katniss throws her knife at the monkey, who dodges it, so Katniss decides to throw herself at Peter to either knock him out of the way or take the blunt of the attack herself to save him. Before she can get there, though, the morphine, their take on morphine, so this person is addicted to that, from District 6 comes out from hiding and gets in between Peter and the monkey, causing the monkey to sink its fangs into her chest. Peter stabs the monkey that's on her back until he lets go. Then the monkeys just seem to become uninterested and leave them alone. Peeta asks for help in bringing the tribute down to the beach area. 
The fangs of the monkey, though, had hit something vital in her body, so they know she is dying. Peta has become friends with her in training and knows she likes painting, so he talks to her about that until she dies, and he carries her out to the water to be taken. Meanwhile, Finnick comes back from the jungle, giving Katniss all the arrows she used on the monkeys, saying that the monkeys' bodies had just disappeared. Okay, my take. Letting Peta go into the jungle by himself was dumb. Especially knowing that he will be trying to get some much needed water and won't be able to cover himself while he was dealing with the tree, making it very easy for someone to come up behind him and kill him. Given that they have never seen a monkey, I wonder why Katniss knew that if they made on contact with them or just acknowledged the monkeys, they would have made the monkeys hostile. This fight needed near-perfect archery skills, so I'd probably be dead from the monkeys since I do not have that skill right now, and I would on only be able to practice with the skill for a few days and training before the games. But Pia does a decent job of dealing with the monkeys with just the knife he had on him, so maybe I'd do okay. After the attack, Katniss and Peter sleep while Finnick takes watch. They all enjoy a feast of some fresh seafood and get a gift of ointment for their monkey bruises. And then another gift of bread from District 4. Katniss is staring across the water and hears screaming and then sees a giant wave coming from the crest of the jungle. Not the body of water near the beach and it takes out most of the jungle in that area. In this section next to the giant wave, Katniss spots three people. Katniss's group falls back to the jungle to hide from them. As the trio makes their way closer to Katniss's group, Katniss notes that they are covered in something red, maybe paint. Finnick recognizes one of them as Joanna. Joanna explains that they have been in the raining section, but instead of water, it rains hot red blood. She has wires and BT, who are called nuts and bolts, with her. Also, I'm probably going to butcher these people's names, so I'm sorry, but... Rires seems to be in shock and is saying tick-tock repeatedly. Joanna makes a comment about how she brought Katniss these two for a reason, but then Finnick grabs her and takes her out of the water to clean her off. Later that night, Joanna and Katniss are taking watch, and when Katniss asks why she brought them to her, Joanna says that Hitmitch said, if we were to be allies, I had to bring them to you. That's what you told him, right? But Katniss didn't tell him anything, but lies and says thanks to her. Katniss notes that the sun is right on top of them in the sky and literally thinks it must be noon. And then the tree across the way is hit with the big lightning strike again. She works through the problem, noting the 12 bongs, then the lighting at night, and now it's noon with more lightning in the same place. And finally realizes the arena is a clock. I just can't believe it took her this long to figure it out. Like, why wouldn't the game maker show you his watch? It was so out of place, so I took note of it. And as soon as she pops up at the beginning of the game and says there is 12 sections, my thoughts went right to the clock. Like, that quick, I was like, yep, this is a clock. How could it take her this long to figure it out? The 12 bongs, then the lightning, the rain suddenly shutting off, followed right away with fog in the next section, the random wave just in one section. It was all right there, Katniss. After figuring out the clock thing, Katniss wakes everyone up to explain, and they go to leave the monkey section. But Beatty is requesting for his wire that Joanna brings to him. She expresses how she didn't see the wire as a weapon, but Peta informs her that Beatty created an electrical trap in his games to win. They make a plan to head back to the cornucopia to safely witness the arena to test out the clock theory. Making a note here, so while at the cornucopia, Katniss thinks about something, and I'm not sure what emotion she has towards it, nor my own emotion, because it's kind of messed up. Basically, Rue, who was only 12, was already working in the fields in her district, right? So she had gained knowledge of trees and plants. 
Then Finnick, only being 14 at his games, had already been fishing in his district, or at least learning how to use the trident and become in becoming a strong swimmer. Joanna was 17 at her games and had already been working in the lumber mills and or at least learning the skills of using the axe for that job. But in District 12, no one goes to the coal mines till they're 18. So it seems that District 12 is even more at a disadvantage when it comes to this issue, and the other tributes are technically training for the games by just working or learning the skills of the trade there, which I can see, but not sure what skills you will gain while mining. You'll gain strength for sure, but not sure what other things learned down there will help with you in the death match. I see it as a good thing, though, that at least in 12, they wait until they're 18 to work them to death. Even the runaways from 8, who worked in textiles, stated that the kids went to work in the factories after school. Granted, coal mines are very dangerous, and miners always don't live that long. It does make more sense to wait so they can get all the good years out of the population. While at the cornucopia, they draw a map of the clock, noting that the tail of the cornucopia points towards 12. While they're talking, Katniss notices that their canary, Weirus, has stopped singing, aka muttering about the clock. Katniss notches an arrow and turns to see Glass, a District 1 tribute, has slit Weirus' throat. Katniss fires an arrow into his right temple. Joanna, at the same time, buries an axe into Kashmir's, the other District 1 tribute, chest. Fennec knocks away a spear that was aimed at Peta and turns to go after two other tributes who were on the other side of the cornucopia when it starts to rotate very quickly. It spins very quickly and Katniss has trouble hanging on, but then it just stops, making them all queasy and off balance. Since the cornucopia was now, has now been moved, they do not know which sector is 12, so they pick a random one and head there. Fennec heads in to get some more water and Peta offers to watch his back while in there. Maybe learning from last time, huh? But Joanna says that Katniss needs to go, and he needs to redo the map that got washed away. Katniss thinks this is a plan to separate her and Peta so that Joanna and Finnick can kill them more easily, but goes along with Finnick. While in the jungle, Katniss starts to realize that the others are doing their best to keep Peta safe and alive, which makes her more suspicious. Katniss goes to hand this file to Finnick. She hears a scream that sounds like Prim. She drops a spiel and runs off to find her. She runs till she finds a jabber jay, a mutant bird that can make human sounds, and knows that Prim's scream is not real. She shoots an arrow into the bird's throat, killing it. Finnick finds her, and they hear another scream, but not Prim's this time, and Finnick takes off. He hears the scream of someone named Annie, and even though Katniss shows him it's just the bird, he reminds her that the birds just mimic sounds. So they, the capital, had to get those screams from the real Prim and Anna, to get the birds to mimic the sounds in the arena. Next, they hear a scream that sounds like Gale. They head to leave the sector as it's too much for them to handle the screaming. They see Peta and Joanna in the jungle, but when they try to get to them, they find that they are being kept in the sector by a transparent wall. Birds start arriving nearby and they are assaulted by the screams of their loved ones. Katniss tries to kill them all, but every time she kills one, another one replaces it. The hour finally ends and Peter can get to Katniss and tries to soothe her, but she isn't having it. Peter tries to explain that yes, the birds mimic sounds, but he doubts they were real. They probably took sounds from the interviews with Prim and messed with the audio, citing that when they reach the final eight, the Capitol goes and does family interviews. So how can they show a tortured or killed Prim in those interviews? Okay, my take. Yeah, those birds would do me in. I don't think I could take an hour of that. I might have stabbed my eardrums at some point. Katniss already knows they'll fix them, so why not just be done with hearing? Also, they know they're being watched, yet still reveal their knowledge of the clock, causing the game maker to move the clock around them to confuse them. 
they make a plan to deal with the remaining tributes not in their group, they will use the wire that BD has been hanging onto, connect it to this tree that, get hit, that gets hit with lightning, and running it to the salt water, which is highly conductive. So anyone in the water will die or on the wet beach. The only drawback to the plan is that when they do that, all the seafood would be dead, removing that food source. They head up to the tree, wrap wire around the tree, and then Katniss and Joanna are to take the wire down to the beach, instructed to throw the remaining wire into the water, making sure it sinks. They start heading down the hill, but at some point there is a slight vibration on the wheel and it's cut. Someone has cut the wire and would soon be attacking them. Katniss drops the wire and goes to grab an arrow when she is hit in the head with a metal cylinder, knocking her out. And she comes to, but with Joanna on her chest, stabbing into Katniss's arm. Katniss takes this as an attack from Joanna to kill her, so tries to fight her off, but Joanna stays on her. Joanna finishes her job on the arm, smears blood on Katniss's face, and tells her to stay down. Brutus and Inobara approach Katniss and think she's as good as as good as dead and goes after Joanna instead. Katniss tries to get up, vomits, and while lifting the cut arm, blood sprays out and hits her in the face. She heads up the hill towards the tree to find Peta. Finnick runs by, looking for her and Joanna, and runs towards where Joanna had disappeared, hearing a cannon boom of death shortly after. She reaches a tree, finds Beatty hurt and holding Peta's knife, which has a wire wrapped around it. Katniss, knowing that the insects are dying down, knows that lightning will hit soon. Hearing Peter off in the distance, she decides the best way to save him is to do this herself. She unwraps the wire from the knife and wraps it around an arrow. She fires it up at a bad part of the force field. The arrow disappears into the darkness behind it. The tree lights up and energy goes up the wire and then the explosion starts. Okay, my take. I do not think I would assume that when Joanna is on top of me that she's planning on killing me. For one, if she wanted to kill me, why deal with my arm? Why not slit my throat after hitting me on the head? Or not even hit me on the head and just straight on attack me like there is no one around them. It would be easy enough for her. I think I could handle the rest of the things she has to deal with though the blood spraying into my face. Ugh. Katniss hits the ground and a hovercraft grabs her. In the hovercraft, she meets the game maker who showed her his watch earlier, but she is frozen by the hook and all he does is shut her eyelids. She wakes up in a white hospital type room, goes to try to find Peta, but finds Haymitch, the game maker dude, and Finnick. She wants to know where Peta is and freaks out and tries to attack Haymitch. When he tells her, Peta has been taken by the Capitol. Gail meets her in her room and informs her that he got Prim and her mom out before District 12 was completely destroyed. Okay, my take. Well, I get why she's mad about PETA being taken, but I think I would understand that I'm more important than PETA. Like, yes, you love him, well, you know, whatever, like him, and want him to be safe, but you have to know deep down that if it had been you to be the one that was taken instead, the whole thing would fail or just fizzle out. But now you can rise up and really do a true revolt against them and get him back. She has a hard time of seeing the bigger picture throughout almost all of this book. Now, how I would survive in this world at this point? Well, that depends. If I never had to go to any games, I would be childless for sure. According to the Hunger Games Phantom Wiki, where I live would be District 8 textiles. But again, I disagree. I feel like it would make more sense to be livestock or grain. I guess I just do my job and keep my head down, maybe helping with the revolt when it deemed to be a little bit more survivable than them just shooting up random crowds. 
If I had won a games at some point, I would still be childless and I would mentor the crap out of the kids I had to mentor, making sure they had basic first aid skills, plant knowledge, some weapon skill like knives or axes, something small to sneak into the district if the those were easily acquired, like if weapons aren't normal in like textiles or whatever, but you know, you can figure out a way to get there. Made me start digging more into how things work for the games and trying to find some weak points or ways to mess with that mess with it without getting caught. If I was going back into the games, I would join any plan to take on the capital. While yes, living nicely in some of the districts would be great, knowing that the only reason I'm living like that is because literal kids are fighting to the death to keep me living that way, it wouldn't sit right with me. It's a bit harder to think of ways I live when we get further into the series of books since I would have to follow maybe the same pattern of living as the characters to even get me in the same circumstances. Like if I lived in 12, I would probably run. You'd have so much money from winning. Take a couple of months to buy and collect things to keep you alive out there for a while and then just leave. Okay, now we're gonna go through some skills, books, things, and other things you can learn, acquire, buy, collect to help you when the book's plot gets to be a little too real. Skills. Like the last book, weaponly of some kind, long and short range, and hand-to-hand -hand combat. Learn to swim. You don't need to be an Olympic-level swimmer, but need to be able to keep yourself from drowning. Medical and first aid skills with the use of items found in the wild. How to fish and make your own fish hooks. I did have a training station for this in the book, but shouldn't learn beforehand. Basic camping skills like how to build a fire, find water, or build basic shelters. Books. A guide to edible plants in-depth medical books only if you really want to help yourself or someone else survive the games even when the hurt person is near death which for this book would be needed if Katniss was badly hurt. Fishing books maybe one with how-to's of building nets or fishing poles for random things. There are some animals in the jungle but the fish were the safest and plentiful so you would want to collect a lot of them easily. Basis of electrical things unless you have your own BT on hand. Plant weaving books like I said, Fannick and Max made watertight containers from plants and shelters that would be very helpful to have around. Things you need or want to help. Outside the games, of course, since you can't control much in them. Extra food, which yes, is very hard to get, but Katniss had a lot of money. She could have spent a good amount of that stockpiling food, or if possible, plant a garden. Granted, it's a bad winter during this book. But as we have seen in other books, you can build greenhouses or light boxes to grow during the coldest winters. Medical supplies. Yes, you have a town healer. Maybe. But you should have your own stuff in case they die or disappear. Something like weights to help build your strength if chosen for games or to help fight back. They do show real weights in the training center, but I doubt people in the district can get those. So improvise with other items. Extra clothes. Winter attire. In case they... Close down the coal mines and you don't have heat anymore or can't get wood for your fireplace. That's all I can think of for now. So with that, thanks for listening to Once Upon a Dystopia. And in our next episode, we'll be diving back into the zombified world of Jonathan Mulberry's Rotten Ruin series with the second book, Dust and Decay. Thank you for listening and happy reading.